The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text today is Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken." On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be with you guys this evening. Uh, fair warning, we are uh, officially entering into to summer uh, this weekend, and we have no control over the HVAC unit in this building. So I apologize. If you're sweating, bring a fan, wear short sleeves, I'd tell myself. Um, it's good to be with you. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, what a great weekend to get to honor and, and remember uh, and commemorate those who uh, have fallen serving and giving up their lives uh, for the sake of this country. We are going to celebrate the good old-fashioned American way tomorrow with a cookout. We're going to make hamburgers and hot dogs and all the fun stuff. It's going to be great. It's not, there's no lake involved. I apologize, but hopefully you got the lake yesterday and then now the park cookout uh, tomorrow. But come on out. We're going to, all the food's provided. Just bring a drink to share and a friend and yourself and a game, like a fun yard game if you want to do that. That sounds fun. Uh, and come hang out. Four o'clock, James Boyce Park. More information online. Um, should be a, a good time. I'll be there. It's going to be great. Bring the kids. Uh, grab your Bible. Psalm 62 and 63. Uh, it is going to be one of those days for us. Psalm 62 and 63. Let me pray uh, one more time as we kind of think about and center our our minds on God uh, and what he would have for us from his word. God, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to get to be with your people on Sunday and to get to worship and to get to sing and to get to, to remember the fact that you are faithful to your promises and that uh, the history of the world and the history of our lives proves that you are faithful and you're true and you're good and you're kind. We're, we're banking on that kindness in a particular way this evening as we ask you to do what you promised to do, which is to make your word take root in us. God, and I pray for the soil of our hearts, those of us who would have rocky soil or thorny soil or hard soil, soil of our hearts that would want to reject your word, would want to reject your spirit, would want to push back against your reality and your truth. God, would you soften us? 
God, let everything I say that is not of you fall away, but let your word remain and be true and take fruit in us. We love you. Pray all things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we kicked off our summer series that we're doing on the emotionally healthy church with this thesis from Pastor Pete Scazzaro, where he says, it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That in order to grow into spiritual maturity, which to put it simply is more love for God and love for others out of response to God's love for us, to grow in that, our emotional health and our emotional maturity must be a part of that equation. It's necessary that we also grow up into emotional health. For instance, if you continue on to be an angry, revengeful, lashing out type of person, and yet the call of spiritual health is to love your neighbor, those two things are hard to coexist exist. If you remain in your life as a consistently anxious person, someone who's always worried about what's to come and what's going to happen and totally always turning it around in your head, that is going to come up against your deep trust and love and affections for God. So in order for us to grow up into spiritual maturity, love for God and love for others, we must also grow up into emotional health. And we said what happens is we tend to one of two unhealthy extremes when it comes to our emotions. For some of us, we tend to suppress our emotions. We tend to push them down, to squash them, to never listen to them, or to always only want to feel the good emotions, whatever that means. But for others of us, we obey our emotions. We let them rule and run our lives and dictate what we do and what our next steps are. And we said instead of these two options, instead we need to take our emotions to the Lord and begin to allow him to renew us and shape us more and more towards emotional maturity. And here's how we define emotional maturity. I'm just giving you the whole sermon. You don't need to go back and listen to it. Emotional maturity is this, having the right emotion at the right time with the right amount for the right duration because of the right reason namely love. That leads us to where we're going as a church over the next four weeks and kind of the next part of this series. And that is, I want to lay before us what I would consider the four essential movements of emotional health that we find in the scriptures. The four things we must do in order to move forward into emotional health. First, we must go in. We must take stock and be honest with ourselves and others and God about the ways we try to hide and pretend and fake what is actually broken within us. We must learn to stop living out of what Thomas Merton calls the false self, this fake us that we put out to God and to the world. We must do the hard inner work within our hearts. The second is we must go back. We have to deal with our our past, our history, our our family of origin, the ways that we've been taught about God and the world, the ways that we've been taught to deal with our emotions and all of the emotional dysfunction that goes along with that. Third, we must go out. Emotional maturity, like all of the Christian life, is not a solo project. It's a community project. What happens when we're caught up in our feelings is that we begin to live in unreality. We begin to lie to ourselves about what is true about God and the world and us. And so our emotional health, our emotional maturity needs other people. And then lastly, what we're going to address today, what I would argue is the first and primary movement towards emotional health is that we must go up. Must go up to go forward. We must take our emotional life and our feelings up to God. We must bring our emotions, all of the good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous, the meaningful and the meaningless, all of our emotional life must go up to God. 
before we talk about Psalm 62, before we talk about taking our emotions to the Lord, I want us to all agree on something first, and that is this idea. We all run somewhere with our emotions. We all run somewhere with our emotions. Whether you suppress or obey your emotions, whether you're aware of where you run to or not aware of that you run at all, we all run somewhere with our emotions. We all take our emotions to somewhere, someone, or something. So I'm experiencing this firsthand right now in my life, in the life of my toddler. So Harper has learned recently what emotions are, or at least what she thinks emotions are. One in particular is she has learned the emotion of fear. And this is how it plays out for her. It's very, very cute. Whenever she's afraid of something, she runs up to us and she clenches her fists and she makes this face and she goes, I scared, I scared, just like that. It's much cuter and funnier when she does it. The other day, uh, this week, we were having those crazy thunderstorms, you know, where they were like coming out of nowhere. And she was in the playroom playing and I was in the living room reading, kind of doing my thing. And it was one of those loud thunderclaps. Do you guys remember those this week? Where it was just like, boom, like shake the house kind of thunder. And next thing I know, you hear like the little pitter-patter of toddler feet, right? Like that's, that's supposed to be louder. And she comes running into the living room and she's like, dada, dada, I scared, I scared thunder go boom. And I was like, you're really cute. This is really sad. And here's the deal. She has no idea why she's afraid. She has no idea. She doesn't know what thunder is. She doesn't know what that noise really was. She has no idea what a storm really is. She knows that there's rain and thunder and lightning, and she knows that we're not allowed to go outside when those things are taking place. She has no idea what she's afraid of, but she does know this. When I feel something, especially fear, I run to dad or mom. She does this with all of her emotions, right? If she's angry, she runs to us. If she's sad, she runs to us. If she's happy, she runs to us. If she's afraid, she runs to us. And here's the deal. As adults, we never stop running places with our emotions. We never stop taking our emotions someplace, particularly the negative ones. So for some of us, we run to things that are tangible, right? When we experience a negative emotion, we run to food, right? There's a whole type of food called comfort food for a reason, we run to drinks, we run to distractions, things like our phone or social media or television, or we, we run to music, right? Something to help make sense of what's going on through a song or through a lyric. For others of us in our emotions, we run to people. We run to others. So we're angry, we're upset, we're sad, we're frustrated. What do we do? We call our best friend, call our mom, call our dad, call our spouse, call our community group leader. We run somewhere, we run to someone in our lives. So for others of us, we run to ourselves. We go internal whenever we experience a negative emotion. We process it and we turn it over and over. We become our own best defense lawyer, right? Our own attorney. We start arguing with ourselves about the emotions we experience. But the point still stands. We all run somewhere with our emotions. David here in Psalm 62 and 63, would invite us that as followers of Jesus, that somewhere, or rather someone, should be God. He's going to lay before us this beautiful invitation we have to bring our emotions before the Lord. He says in Psalm 62, 8, the verse that's on the banners, he says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So I want to dive into Psalm 62 and 63 together. And what I just kind of want to lay before us is the necessity and the beauty of bringing our emotions to God. 
In order to move forward into emotional health, I want to give you the why. Why we bring our emotions, why we bring our emotional lives to the Lord, why it matters, and then I want to end briefly at the end with what this looks like in our lives. So Psalm 62, I got three points. It's going to be tons of fun. Psalm 62, verse 1. David writes, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Now, we don't know exactly what's happening in David's lives here, life here. Uh, most biblical scholars suggest that he's on the run for his life from his son Absalom, who's trying to kill him and take the throne of Israel. That's our best guess. Either way, David is not in a good state. He says, people are attacking me. They're coming after me. You can sense the fear and sadness and anger and worry in his voice. And yet already in the text, he's trying to root his heart into God. He's saying things like, my soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock and my salvation. Go to verse 5. For God alone, O my soul. He's changing his tune now. It's not just it is waiting, but he commands it. Look at this. Wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. Verse 7. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. All right, three reasons, three whys behind bringing our emotions to God. Number one, God is a refuge for his people. God is a refuge for his people. David says it right there in verse seven, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. God is a refuge for his people. Now that biblical imagery might be a little lost on us, but to his, the readers in his day, it would have made a ton of sense. So what happens is the landscape in David's time was one where it was a ton of either desert or mountains, kind of barren lands with little cities kind of dropped along the map. And these cities were often built with high walls on the top of a mountain or against a mountain and those cities were safe but yet if you were on the road traveling from one city to another then you were vulnerable you were vulnerable to the weather you were vulnerable to attack from people who would want to steal from you or hurt you or harm you but to be in a city was a place of refuge and so David is picking up that idea and that word picture to say hey that is what God is like on offer for your soul when the rest of the world, when everything else around you would be like a barren desert, there is a refuge and a city for us. He says, though everyone is attacking me, though everybody is trying to get after me in the swirl of all of his emotions of anxiety and grief and sorrow and fear, David says, I have a place to hide. I have a place for rest. I have a place for comfort and for joy and for peace. And that place is God. But then notice what else he says in verse 6. Not only is God a place to run, notice what he says. He is the place to run. Look at verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. Not he is one of my options. Not he is one of the things I'm going to consider for refuge. Not he is one of the places I might look for peace. He is the rock and salvation. Why do we bring our emotions to God? Because he is a refuge for us, but he's not just a refuge. He is the only true refuge. 
He's the only one that can comfort us. He's the only one who can bring us peace, who can shape us and mold us and help us. Because here's the reality. We are all going to run somewhere with our emotions. And all of those things I referenced earlier, those are not bad things. In and of themselves, they're not even terrible things to run to. It's not wrong if you want to eat a little bit of ice cream if you're sad. I prefer half-baked Ben and Jerry's. Throw that out for the future if you want to bless me. Thank you. It's a good thing to call a friend, right? It's a good thing to call a family member. It's a good thing to call a mentor. It's a good thing to call a parent. It's a good thing to reach out to someone when you are struggling. Jesus, in Matthew 26, our passage from last week, what does he do in his grief? He says, hey, Peter, James, John, I need you to know what's going on in my soul. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to process and to wrestle with your emotions. It's a good thing to take stock of what's happening inside. The problem is, That while many of those things are good and useful and helpful, they cannot be the true refuge your soul needs. At some point, they're going to let you down. At some point, that friend you always call will not answer the telephone, often by accident. At some point, that ice cream carton is going to go empty. At some point, your spouse will prove that they too are a sinner in need of a savior. At some point, those things are going to fail you. It's a lot of things that promise or offer to be refuge and will not or cannot ultimately deliver. That's why I love what David says in verse 10, right? He says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Because when all other places of refuge fail, and they will, even the good ones and the best ones, God will not fail you. He won't. He's a constant refuge. Why? Because he's true to his character, and his character is one of faithfulness. He's true to his character, and his character is one of mercy. He's true to who he is, and who is he but a gracious and merciful and mighty refuge for his people. That's why I love that we got to sing that song we just sang a second ago, right? History will prove. History proves the character of God, proves the nature of God. It proves the faithfulness of God. I love how uh, Alistair Groves and Winston Smith, they have a book called Untangling Emotions. If you're like, I want to read more on this, I can't recommend a book more than Untangling Emotions. This is what they say. They say, Christian hope is not in a system of strategies we can enact to deal with negative emotions. Christian hope is in a savior and a shepherd and an ever-present help in time of need who, get this, sees us, knows us, loves us and actually has the power right here and right now to help us with the turmoil of our hearts. He sees us. He knows us. How many of us, myself included, in the world of emotions feel unseen? Does anybody get me? Does anybody know what's going on in here? God sees us. He knows us, and he loves us. That's number one. We don't We run to God because he's a refuge, but we don't just do that. We also run to him because, number two, he redeems our emotions. God redeems our emotions. I want to show you this in the text, how you can kind of trace David's heart shifting as he he continues to write this psalm. I think it's fascinating. Uh, So look at at verse 2 of Psalm 62. He says this, he says, God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be, notice that word, greatly shaken. And then look at verse 6, four verses later. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be what? Shaken. Notice what's missing. Greatly. 
This is no inconsequential detail. Almost every biblical scholar you read agree on this fact that David, as he's pouring his heart out to God in this psalm, four verses after he says, I won't be greatly shaken, gets rid of the greatly as a means of saying, okay, at first I wasn't going to be like massively moved by this trauma, by this thing, by this whatever's going on, this trouble, but now I'm not going to be moved at all. His confidence in God is growing. His heart for the Lord as God roots him in him is growing more and more steadfast. I'll give you another example, verses three and four. He says, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. I.e., when are these folks going to leave me alone? When are they going to stop blessing me to my face and then talking bad about me behind my back or in their hearts? He can't get enough. He can't get away. But then look at verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Skip to verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. So we go from verse 3 and 4, when are they going to leave me alone, to verses 9, 11, and 12. What can man do to me? Those of high estate are a delusion. Those who are low are but a breath. Power and steadfast love belong to God. And he's going to render a man according to his work. Do you see how the confidence of David is growing? So if you remember the chart from last week, right? We have this circumstance, this experience, and then we evaluate it, which then leads to our emotions. And so David's sitting here going, all right, Lord, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I'm experiencing. These people will not stop. They will not leave me alone. They keep attacking me. But then later he goes, hey, but you're in control. See, what has happened is that God has not changed David's circumstances in five verses. What he has changed is David. He's changed David. All right, David, when you're in the midst of this, let me not change your circumstance. Let me change you. Your evaluation of what's happening, your heart and your response to what's happening such that you're in the middle of writing the exact same psalm. Nothing has changed in the last two minutes, and yet here you are saying, God, you're in control. I was terrified, but now you're in control. I was going to be greatly shaken, but now I'm not going to be shaken at all. God is redeeming David's heart as David pours it before the Lord. It's number two, God redeems our emotions. Number one, God is a refuge for his people. But there's one more thing you have to see in these two chapters that I think is absolutely essential to going up with our emotions to God in order to move forward into emotional health. Honestly, if you miss this, uh, you're going to miss the rest of the series, and you're going to think what we're doing is preaching Christianized self-help, and that is never my intention, and that is never my goal. So don't mishear me on this. You've got to get this. Number three, the reason why we take our emotions up to God is this. God gives us more of himself. Maybe you missed it. God gives us more of himself. What we're not talking about is 12 steps to better happiness. What we're not talking about is, hey, here's some steps to managing your anxiety for the rest of your life. What we're not talking about is, hey, come to church and stop being depressed. What I'm offering you today is what the scriptures offer, which is more of the living God himself. Let me show you this, Psalm 63. Man, just just let your heart receive this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. 
my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. I wish I believed that more. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, as the best steak you could possibly cook. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Let me make sure I'm really clear on this. One of the greatest dangers to us moving forward into emotional health is to focus too much on emotional health. David says, my soul is satisfied in God. His love is better than life. I am satisfied as with rich food. I sing for joy. So here's what you need to understand. The point of bringing our emotions to God is not really for him to change our emotions, although he does do that. The point of bringing our emotions to God is not really for us to get a new perspective, although we need that, and he will. The point of bringing our emotions to God is not so that we feel better, whatever that might look like or mean. The primary and central reason we bring our emotions up to God is to get more of God himself. The primary reason we pour out our hearts before him is to get more of him. That's the point of all of this. If you're wondering, like, why are we here? I'm not talking about like five o'clock citizens. I'm talking about like here on the earth. What is the point of all of this? To get more of God. To get more of his glory. To get more of his love. To get more of his welcome. To get more of his power and his might and his awesomeness. To have him be what we just sang for him to be. Magnified in our lives. Lifted up. Exalted. That's why I love this, this whole chapter, but especially verse one and how many times David over and over again says you, right? Look, he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. You. God, earnestly I seek you. Not just the peace you want to give me. Earnestly, God, I seek you. Not just the joy my soul craves. Earnestly, God, I seek you, not just an end to my angry outbursts. Earnestly, God, I seek you. We bring our emotions to God to get more of God, which is what he is trying to do first and foremost in your life as well. We bring our emotions to God. God, here's my anger. Here's my depression. Here's my sadness. Here's my anxiety. Here's my grief. Here's my joy and my thanksgiving. I want more of you in the midst of this. And God says, yeah, that's what I've been trying to give you for your entire life. You want more of me? Come on. So let me offer this up to us then as a church. What if the experience you're having and the emotion it's bringing is not simply something to be wrestled with until it goes away or changes, but actually a tool God might be using to bring your heart to him? Let me say that again. What if the experience you're having 
and the emotion that it's bringing is not simply something to be wrestled with until it goes away or changes, but actually a tool God might use to bring your heart to him. I mean, think about it, right? When we're in that emotionally down place, what do we want more than being out of that place? Right? When I'm sad, what do I want more than to no longer be sad? When I'm anxious, what do I want more than just getting rid of this anxiety? When I'm angry, what do I want more than just, what do I got to change? What do I got to do? How do I get rid of this anger or lash it out and then get rid of it in that way? And yet the highest goal of the Christian life is not to be free from bad feelings. The highest goal of the Christian life is to be known and loved by God and to love him and others in return. That's the point. Why are we doing 11 weeks on emotional health? Because I think we need this in order to grow more and more receiving God's love and loving him and others in return. So just think about it. Is there a possibility that the God who knows all things and holds all things and controls all things, who, Romans 8, 28, works all things together for the good of those who love him, might actually use the experiences that lead you to negative emotions to, one, grow your love for him, and two, bring you closer to himself? Might that very anger that you're like, I just don't want to be angry anymore, might be the very thing that God is using to shape your heart towards him? Might be that anxiety where you're like, I just want to get rid of this anxiety. Tim, give me some tips, give me some tricks, give me some Bible verses to memorize to get rid of the anxiety. And what if God is going saying, yes, I do want to redeem you from the anxiety, and in the process, I want to give you more of myself, my healing, and my redemption, and me. What if that became the target? I love the way Dan Allender writes about it. It's the cry of the soul. It's the, the first book we're doing this book club thing on in a few weeks, and he says it this way. He says, if we view difficult emotions as problems to be solved, we will end up looking for answers that will work rather than pursuing relationship with God, regardless of immediate outcome. What would it look like for you? In your sadness, in your grief, in your anger, in your sorrow, in your fear, in your anxiety, in your joy, to care more about being with God, to care more about Him, than just taking the emotion away. And then guess what? As you pursue more of God, what does he do? He redeems your emotions. So let's talk about how. Here's what this looks like practically. If God invites us to himself to take our emotions to him because he's a refuge, he redeems us, he wants to give us more of him. Let's just talk real quick two ways this looks right there in the passage. Number one, pour out your heart to God. How do we do this? How do we go up with our emotions to go forward into emotional health? Number one, pour out your heart to God. Verse eight. I hope in, in referencing verse eight a lot that when you come into the gathering, you'll read these. And if I get boring, you can just read them a bunch. It's good with me. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I love the, the Hebrew word for poor here can be translated as gushing. And I really like that, that word picture. Gush out your heart before God, right? You think about like two people when they first start dating and you just can't be around them because they're that annoying because they keep gushing either to each other or about each other, right? There's just this overflow. This is what I got to say about this person. And the invitation of, of verse eight of Psalm 62 is, hey, gush out to God. God, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know what's going on. Bleh, take it. You can have it. I don't know. I don't even, it's not sorted out in my head. It's not like cookie cutter in a box presented as a neat gift to you all like dealt with in process. I just bleh, take it, take it. We give him two things. Number one, we give him our feelings. 
We pour out our feelings. We pour out our, our hearts and our feelings. We gush out our feelings to God. We say, God, this is what I'm feeling. I need you to know this. I know you already know it, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. I don't know if it's accurate. I don't want to be ruled by it. I don't know if it's good or bad or right or wrong or somewhere in the middle. I don't know. God, just help me. This is what I'm feeling. I'm angry. I don't want to be angry. Help me. I'm sad. I don't want to be sad. Help me. We just gush out our feelings to God. But then second, we don't just give him our feelings. We also give him our desires. The desires behind the feelings, the good ones, the bad ones, the, I don't know, ambiguous ones. God, I, I'm lonely and I'm sad. And I, I love, 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 love to be married right now. I really would. And it feels like I'm in 10 weddings a month. It's ridiculous. And I'm angry. And I'm jealous, and I'm annoyed, and I'm sad, and I'm working really hard to try to be content because I feel like your word tells me to be content, and I feel like nobody really gets it. And I feel like every time I try to be open about it, everyone just says, hey, have you figured out how to be content yet? And I'm just sad. And I don't know what to do with that. I, I want to get married. That's my desire. You just do what you want, Lord. I don't, I don't know. Here it is. Change it. Change my heart. Change my circumstances. I don't just do something. Here's my heart. God, I, I want a different job. My boss is terrible, and I'm annoyed most of the time, and I, I don't like what I do, and spreadsheets are stupid. Can I want another job? Is that okay? Like, I don't know. I'm just feeling, just help me. <laughs> if you want me here, show me. If you don't want me here, show me. Just take the, I don't know. This is what I'm feeling, God. I just want you in. I don't want to hide from you. I just want you to know me, my heart, my desires. God, that person hurt me so badly. I mean, dagger from the front and then walked around to the back. And I'm just annoyed and angry and words that I can't say from stage. Or to my community group, to my friends. And I, I don't think you want me to feel this way, but right now I just don't want good for them. And I think in your word, you tell me not to feel that way. So I want that to change, but I don't know. And here's where I'm at. I just want you in on it. But we don't like that, do we? There's something about us that hears God knows me, and he sees me, and he's near to me, and he's kind, and he's a refuge. But is he okay with that? Is he okay with the unbottled up emotions? Is he okay with the, I don't really have a bow on it yet emotions? Is he okay with the, I haven't processed this with 10 people in my friend group yet, so I can give them like the redeemed version emotions? Yeah, he is. I love the way that this is Groves and Smith again, untangling emotions, they, they say it this way. All of us are easily presumptuous, blind to the privilege offered us in God's call to pour out our hearts. Imagine, I love this, imagine, the Father himself cares what you think and invites you to earnest conversation with him at any time for as long as you need. I do not believe that. You might be more Christian than me. I do not believe that. It's true. The Bible is overwhelmingly clear that it's true. Yet it's so hard for us to believe that God invites us to pour out our hearts whenever we want for as long as we want. 
What a privilege. Number two, wait on the Lord. Pour out our hearts before him. God, here's what I'm feeling. Here's all my emotions. Here's the stuff, good, bad, somewhere in the middle. I don't know, just, I just need you in on this. But number two, we wait on the Lord. I love verse one, Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And then he comes back around in it, right? To verse six, where he's like, hey, soul, stop it. Wait, <laughs> wait. I know how quickly you want to run. I know how quickly you want to be like, God, I need peace and then run to a bunch of stuff. I know how quickly you're like, God, I need you to take away my anger and then go lash it out instead. He says, no, soul, wait, wait on God. Actually trust his word, actually trust his character, actually trust his promises. I can't help but think of this beautiful picture of Jesus in the garden, right? Last week, Matthew 26, he's praying, he's pouring out, he's overwhelmed by sorrow. And this is what he says, Matthew 26, 39. He says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now there's a number of things he's doing there. Theologically, people are like, he's God, Jesus is God. Why is he asking to not do the cross? Theologians say a lot of things, but one of the things they press hard on is that this is Jesus showing us a means of prayer. I love that. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what? As you will. That's the next essential step of prayer. We gush out our hearts to God. Here's what I'm feeling. I don't know. Just take it, but I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to let you change me. I'm going to let you reshape me. I'm going to let you mold me. I'm going to let you do what you're going to do. Here's my feelings. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm annoyed. I'm happy. I'm joyful. I don't know. Just take it, and I'm going to sit, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to hold on, and I'm going to trust, because you're God. And every time I try to fix it, it doesn't go well. And every time I try to step in and solve my emotions, it doesn't go well. So I'm going to wait on you because you're good. Here's where I want to close. Movement number one towards emotional maturity. We go up to go forward. I want to end as we kind of think about communion. Don't grab the cups yet. It makes a lot of rattle noise. Um, <laughs> it's today, right? What a fantastic privilege in the gospel. Like, I, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, and just this reality of I, I very much dislike the idea of bringing God in my heart and my emotions. I'm a suppressor, so that's just how I lean, uh, and I, I am perf perfectionist, and I don't get the gospel. And for all of those reasons, I want to go, no, Lord, I'm going to hide from you, and I'm going to put on a face, and I'm going to put on a front, and I'm going to put on a facade, and... I just think about the beautiful invitation of the gospel that says that all of that is what we do apart from Christ. All right, so I think about Genesis 3 and the fall, a sermon we preached a few weeks ago. And what do Adam and Eve do immediately? Immediately once they sin, they hide. They run from God, right? Immediately, they're like, no, we're going to run, we're going to hide in our shame and our guilt, we're going to get away from the Lord. And yet the beautiful invitation of the gospel is that, yeah, apart from Christ, we should. Apart from the work of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection, we can't bring our hearts to God. We can't bring our emotions to God. We're separated from him because of sin. He's holy and we're not. We can't get close to him. And yet the promise of the gospel is that through the redeeming work of Jesus, through his blood and his body given up for us, Hebrews 4.15 says we can approach the throne of grace, not as fearful, not as uncertain, but with confidence. What an invitation of the gospel. What a beautiful joy-filled, wonderful thing as you sit down on Tuesday to pray and you go, God, I don't know if you want my heart. 
or my feelings or my thoughts or even me. What a beautiful opportunity to remember. No, Jesus died to bring me back into your presence. To cleanse me, to wash me clean, to make me new, and to return me back to you. And so as we take communion, I don't, I don't want to do this as like, a, we're, we're just going to do it. I want to do it as a way of remembering. No, through the body and blood of Christ, we are made right with God. Through the body and blood of Christ, we can enter the throne of grace with confidence. Through the body and blood of Christ, we can pour out our whole selves to God. If you're not a Christian, this is one of the only things we'd ask you not to do, uh, because everything I just said about being able to approach the throne of grace with confidence is not true about you yet. Uh, But rather than take communion, I invite you to believe in Jesus, to trust in him for salvation, to say, yeah, Lord, I I want all of you. I want want to be about you. I want want to follow you. I want your forgiveness and your love and your redemption. I want to be washed clean and made new. I'm going to be down front. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus after this. But for all of us who are in Christ, on on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. He said, every time you eat from this bread, you're remembering that I died. I gave up my body to make you right with God. So church, take and eat. The same way he took a cup of wine after supper and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. For every time you eat the bread, you drink the cup, you're announcing, remembering, celebrating my death until I return. So as we take and and drink this cup in just a second, church, remember that it was the blood of Christ spilled for you that washed you clean, made you righteous holy declared before God. Take and drink. We got some folks in the back who would love to pray with you and for you. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't want to sing right away, if you just want to spend some time pouring out your feelings and heart to the Lord, I'm going to invite you to do that as well. That'd be awesome. Or you can stand and you can worship and you can um, worship in that way through song. Whatever you want to do, let me pray. Ben's going to come up and then we'll keep on worshiping Jesus. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for... Your word, God, thank you for Psalm 62 and 63. God, we don't know all the ins and outs of what's going on with David's heart, but it's such a beautiful picture of him wanting to root himself in you. God, as I, I pray as we think about emotional health. God, I pray as we think about emotional maturity. God, I, I pray as we think about what it looks like to bring our emotions to you. Lord, would you help us? God, the default of our hearts because of sin is to want to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves look good to you, or to run. One of the two options, Lord, and in the gospel, there's something so much more beautiful, so much better, so much more true, so much more life-giving. God, that you say, no, but by the grace of me. And you invite us to enter into your presence. And so I pray for those of us here who don't know you, who don't know the privilege of, of having you as father, who don't know your forgiveness and your cleansing, have not been declared righteous in your sight. Lord, would we repent of our sins and turn back to you and trust in you for salvation? God, I pray that tonight, even today, Lord, would be the day of salvation. And for those of us who do, Lord, I pray that we would see it as the privilege that it is to get to run to you as a good father who knows us and sees us and cares for us, calls us your own, and invites us to approach your throne with confidence. For every high and every low, every emotion, every sin, every pain, every suffering, Lord, you invite us to approach your throne with confidence. Not based on us, but based on Jesus. I need you, Lord. We need you. 
was too good. The invitation is too good for us to make excuses. It's too good for us to deny our hearts. It's too beautiful for us to run the other way. We need you. Probably sings in Christ's name. Amen.